Chapter 6, Yoga of Meditation. First topic, Yogi rises to Jnani. Verses 4 to 6 we'll cover today. Any, any questions before we begin? So this topic explains the different stages of growth of a spiritual seeker. From a yogi to a sannyasi, thereafter the ultimate stage of a jnani, a self-realized self. A yogi still has desires, vasanas. They still have interest in the world. Therefore, in the beginning of the spiritual path, you have to perform action. By performing those actions, we reduce our desires. Now, this is if you are a yogi. What's a yogi? Someone who is? Who's a yogi? <clears throat> what qualifies you as a yogi? Anyone? Because they're saying you rise from a yogi to a sannyasi. What qualifies you to be a yogi? On the path to spiritual enlightenment. Absolutely right. Someone who's decided, you know, this world, yeah, it's great, but I think there's more, something more higher, something more interesting, something has to be, I can't be in this world born just to enjoy myself. There must be some purpose to my life. And when you ask that question, then the answer appears, which is spiritual development. Until, the, until you ask that question to yourself, you will not be interested in this subject or any spiritual subject because you're too involved in the world. But once you've decided that, you know, there must be more to this. Waking up every morning, what am I doing? I've got enough money. <clears throat> I've got everything I want. There must be something more to life. And then you decide to pursue this spiritual path, any spiritual path, by the way, not necessarily the good Gita, then you become a yogi. You're qualified as a yogi, someone who's acting to reach that higher goal in life. But because you have desires to reduce those desires, the Gita says you have to perform karma yoga. By performing karma yoga, you will reduce your desires. So you are now a yogi. Is that does that make sense, Dipabin? Everyone understand that? Any any clarifications there? So you've decided this is what I want to do. So you're now a yogi. When the majority of your desires are reduced by you performing karma yoga, with very few desires left, you become a sannyasi. You qualify as a sannyasi. 
Sannyasi translates as recluse, but that's not what it means. It doesn't mean you don't go out of the house, stay on your own. It doesn't necessarily mean that. There's a sannyasi shift to being in a quiet environment. You don't like going to noisy environments. You perform less action because you've got hardly any desires now. There's no need for you to perform much action. There are no vasanas manifesting. I want to do this. I want to go here. I want to go do this. Because you reduce them all. What vasanas do you have now? As a sannyasi, what vasanas do you have? Any idea? Nilam? Just the one to, yeah, re be enlightened, reach enlightened. Be enlightened. Yeah. So in order to do that, you tend to study more the scriptures, contemplate more in a quiet environment, because you know that's what's going to get you to that goal. So the actions you're now performing are studying and contemplation. And since you only have a few desires left, you have the ability to have better concentration because your mind's not taking you into the world. Mind's not saying, okay, I want to do this, I want to do that. As soon as this class finish, I want to watch football. You know, all that is not happening anymore. Your mind is quiet. I know you're all waiting to watch it. So, yeah. But a sannyasi, you're not a sannyasi, see? But if you're a sannyasi here, you'd be saying, I'm not interested. <laughs> so we're all yogis, by the way. So you have better concentration. The world's not bombarding you. Hey, come. So then you move to the last stage of the practice, which is meditation. Single thought. One mantra. And in meditation, you dissolve that last thought. You dissolve your ego. You're no longer this being, you're one with the self. This is the journey of a human being to self-realization. Is there any clarifications? And this is hopefully what we're all trying to achieve. This is hopefully what we're all trying to do. Not maybe now, that thought might not be in your head saying, I want to get to that stage. That thought might not be there at the moment, you know, but your th the idea, your thought is that I want to pursue the spiritual path. Yeah, so. So it's only um, through the verses of Bhagavad Gita do you realize that um, the ideal yogi is one that is um, working towards reducing their desires, but one can question that actually, even before reading the Bhagavad Gita and having this knowledge, because I went to the temple, because I did Amara, I was a yogi, because I was thinking I was on the spiritual path, mm. um, and which is like majority of us, we all mm. were spiritual in mm. one sense or another. So what's the difference of being a yogi then to mm. being a yogi now? Mm. Any idea? Anyone? Yeah, Neelam. 
Is it your intention? So if you're doing these things because it's religious or it's just what you've been brought up to do without questioning it, then the quality of action is different. Whereas if you're focused on trying to reduce your desires or, you know, become more aware of the self and inwardly focused, then the quality of action is different and then the result will be different. Absolutely right. Karyam karma karoti yaha. That's what we covered last week. Karyam karma karoti yaha. A person who does what they ought to do in life. When you are, when you are going to a temple, you're doing a mara, whatever you have been doing, previous to gaining knowledge, yes, previous to gaining knowledge, you are doing it because you're brought up that way, you have some inclinations to spirituality, but the difference is there's no goal. You're doing it mechanically. There isn't a goal to reach. This is my goal to reach self-realization, and this is why I'm performing this. It's not clear that that's what you want to do. I may be wrong, but... Well, even now, my goal may not be to reach self-realization. My goal may be to just become a better human being. And as far as I can achieve, reduce my desires for vasanas to make them better, but that doesn't mean that I'm not spiritual just because I don't want to reach self-realization. We're not talking about that. We're not saying that. As I said, I mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago, you may, we may all be yogis at the moment, yeah? But we, that goal of self-realization is so far, we can't even think about it. But God Gita is studying, okay? And he's telling us that this is the path. But we may not be able to envisage that path. We may not be able to understand that state. You know, we might think, how would I ever get there? That thought isn't even in, in your head. Yeah. Because you can't relate to it. It's so difficult to relate to it. So the Gita is saying, just do karma. Reduce your desires. Eventually you get there. You know, last week's class, we said, all the, uh, Krishna says to, uh, Lord Krishna says to Arjuna, they're both the same. They both take you, take you to the same goal. Don't worry about it. Just perform karma because you still have desires. Eventually, you'll get there. But right now, just do karma. Just do what you ought to do in life. Mother, housewife, play the role to the best of your ability. Be the best husband. Be the best teacher. Do the best you can. Be the best yoga teacher. That's it. Do what you ought to do. Acting without the idea of what am I getting out of it? Who is benefiting? If you think of these things, then it's your ego that comes into it. So just do what you ought to do. Whatever you're good at, whatever your skills, your capacity, just perform that duty to the best of your ability. That's it. Forget about self-realization. Forget about sannyasi. Just do what you ought to do. We gave a couple of examples. Rose gives fragrance. It's not worried about who smells it. Sun gives heat. Earth gives vegetation. Birds sing. None have any motives. Only a human being has motives.
Is that okay? Any clarifications? Settle shrugging her shoulders, so we'll, we won't carry on. Any clarifications? Okay. So just do what you ought to do without any motives. Both a yogi and a sannyasi are on the same path, leading to self-realization, but at different stages. That's all it is. Make a resolution. Just follow the knowledge from the Gita. And the Lord will be with you to guide you, to take you to your goal. Whatever that goal may be, based on your karma, based on your actions. None indeed becomes a yogi without renouncing sankalpa. What was sankalpa? Any idea? You remember? Sankalpa, we introduced last week. I'm going over these things because it continues today from the last verse, that's why. What was sankalpa? Thoughts. Worldly thoughts. Give up worldly thoughts. That distracts your mind. So give up worldly thoughts. None indeed becomes a yogi without renouncing sankalpa, worldly thoughts. And we said, a person who is not pursuing the spiritual path is called a bogi, meaning a worldly person. He has no idea of the spiritual path. Remember I mentioned to you once, I met this chap very egoistic person came back from the ashram and I met this chap who I've known for many years and he said oh what have you been up to and I said I've just come back from the ashram and he goes what were you doing so I was studying the Gita as soon as he heard that he walked away worldly person no interest whatsoever he just indulges in the world no other thoughts except acquisition and enjoyment what can I get? What can I enjoy? That's the only thoughts in his mind. So the Lord is saying, just need to change your focus from external thoughts, sankalpa, to internal thoughts, the self. Make the self as your goal in life. Rather than material objects and beings. And you're now a yogi then. Performing your karma. To develop on the spiritual path. Is that okay? Is that clear? So you have to decide. Okay, let's start. So that's what we covered last week. And it continues from there. Verse 4. Yada hinendriate shu na karmas vanusachate sarvasan kalpasan yasi yoga ruddasta dochate yada hinendriate shu na karmas vanusachate sarvasan kalpasan yasi when a man is not attached 
either to sense objects or actions and, him, and has renounced all sankalpas, thoughts, then he is said to be established in yoga. When a man is not attached either to sense objects or actions and has renounced all sankalpas, thoughts, then he is said to be established in yoga. Nilam, could you read paragraph one and two, please? Continuing the line of thought from the preceding verses, Krishna explains when and how a person can claim mastery over yoga. A person is well established in yoga when he detaches himself from sense objects and actions and renounces the desires, sankalpa, for them. People all over the world are possessed and obsessed with endless desires, these desires incessantly pressurize them to acquire the objects and beings of the world and enjoy them. Their organs of perception perennially pursue the sense objects while their organs of action engage themselves in the multifold activities in the world. As a result of their continual and long indulgence in perception and action, they develop a clinging attachment to them. They become enmeshed and entangled in the affairs of the world. Thank you. You see the difference? Before, you're going to temples and so on. Have you renounced sense objects, actions? Have you renounced sankalpas, thoughts of them? If so, then you're a yogi. If not, then you're just a spiritual person with no goal. We already said what yoga means, union with the self. You've decided you want to pursue the union with the self. While you're acting, you want to become self-realized, become one with the self. That is what yoga is. When is a person established in yoga? It's saying, we humans are driven by insatiable desires for possession and enjoyment in the world. This is everyone's goal. You ask anyone what, what their goal is and they'll be saying, I want to get this, I want to get that, I want to become this, I want to become that. This is all we live for. True or not? You agree or disagree? You ask anybody, that's their goal. And we're not saying they're wrong. Majority of the people, that's their goal. And then we get attached to these things. This is our society these days. It promotes it. You want to get this? You can get it on credit. Monthly payments. So a person is said to be established in yoga when they have detached themselves from sense objects and actions. This is what it's saying. You're established in yoga when they have detached themselves from sense objects and actions, mentally. Yeah, very important, mentally. means not attached to the organs of perception, the five senses, eyes, tongue, 
for taste, ears for hearing, smelling and touch, not attached to those things, not attached to the organs of action. Arms, legs, speech, I want to go here, I want to go there, not attached to any of those things. Can any of us say we're there? So if you don't get attached to action senses, what do you do? Should we not perform any action? How do you do that? Should we not watch TV, listen to music? What it means, we should not be attached to these things. This should not be the reason we get out of bed every morning. Today I want to go here, I want to go there. That shouldn't be the goal of you getting out of the bed. Your goal is to get out of bed and say, today I need to perform yoga. And you may do all those things. There's nothing wrong in us contacting sense objects. But you shouldn't have the craving for that. That's what it means. Shall we go to the movies? Yes, what time? What are we going to watch? Can't wait to plan our next holiday. Where shall we go? Doesn't mean you don't go to the movies or you don't go on holiday. It doesn't mean that. But they're craving for it. Don't be attached to action and sense objects. Doesn't mean you leave, don't leave the house, lock yourself in one room. If I leave this room, I'll be in trouble. I'll have a desire to watch TV, browse the internet, listen to music, desire for some tasty food. I'll be going against the spiritual path. I better stay in the room. Doesn't mean that. Why can't you do that? Even if I lock you in the room, why can't you? Um, how can that help you if I lock you in the room? We you lock yourself in the room. Why does the Gita say you don't have to do that? Anyone? Yeah, Shashi? Yeah, Shashi? Because even if you lock yourself in a room, your thoughts and your mind will be elsewhere, so it's pointless. It's pointless, yeah. Lord knows, human beings, they have their limitations. Unless they develop themselves slowly, they can't just perform the ultimate. You're still thinking about these things. Absolutely right, Sashi. It's not if I lock you in the room, you can think of God or something higher. Your mind will still go to those things, still distracted. Lord knows, human being can't do this. In fact, there is nowhere in the Gita where it says, you can't do this and you can only do that. No do's and don'ts in the Gita. It doesn't even say you can't smoke, you can't drink, you can't eat meat. It doesn't say anything like that in there. Any idea why it doesn't say that? Any idea, Ravi? It um, 
the Gita is about strengthening your intellect and allowing you to make choice. So obviously, if your intellect is increasing, your knowledge increasing, you make the right choices. See, if you follow the path of spiritual development, you wouldn't do those things anyway. Yeah. You would not be able to eat meat if you're on the spiritual path. And you yourself would make that decision. How can I eat flesh? And you know, in chapter 17, 18, it tells you why, um, what happens if you do eat it. It doesn't say you can't eat it. It tells you what happens if you do eat it. So therefore, it doesn't say that anywhere because everyone has vasanas. You have a vasana for that. How can they tell you not to do it? You can buy whatever you want. You want to buy a big house, Ferrari, boat, whatever you want. No restrictions. No way in the Gita says you can't own anything. Unlike other religions, you can only do this, you can't do that. If you do that, this will happen. Nothing like that in the Gita. You can own whatever you want. But don't have any attachment to these sense objects, it's saying. Don't be attached to it. Own whatever you want. Renounce sankalpa, thoughts of these things. See, to acquire and to enjoy. All we are doing in our life is planning this, how to acquire and enjoy. That's all we're doing. So a person has renounced the thoughts of these things, is said to be established in yoga, the spiritual path. So it's a mental state. See, the body just acts. It doesn't have a mind of its own. Your mind tells the body what to do. Your intellect tells the body what to do. It's like you're in a boat. The boat cannot go on its own. You have to steer it in the right direction. You tell it where to go. Similarly, the body is just the arms, legs, torso. You have to tell it what to do and what, where to go. It's a mental thing. Any clarifications? Nilam, first uh, paragraph for you, please. The first sign of spirituality in a person appears when his desires change their direction from the outer world to the inner self. That marks the beginning of the practice of yoga, the union with the self. When he continues his pursuit of the self, his worldly desires drop off and he develops detachment from sense objects and actions. Such a person, free from desires and detached from perception and action, remains rooted in yoga. So how do we know that we're on the right path, the spiritual path? How do we know? How do we know? First line of that paragraph. Nilam, how do we know? When we become less outwardly focused and more inwardly Absolutely. focused. Absolutely. When our thoughts are no longer on the material world, but on the self within. This indicates you're on the spiritual path. The first sign of spirituality in a person appears when his desires change their direction from the outer world to the inner self. 
that marks you as a spiritual person. It's a revelation, that is, isn't it? See, wild, normal people, what they're doing, they're in the world, they, they go to church, temple, etc. They they feel they're being spiritual. But their thoughts, mind are all, always on the world. When your focus changes. Shift our focus. Shift the focus to the self within. And this is where this knowledge we're studying becomes useful. It helps us to do this. This is what our knowledge, this knowledge is helping us to, shifting our focus. When we shift our focus, our worldly desires begin to reduce. You have less interest in the world. Any clarifications? And you can't do it overnight. After this class, you said, that's it. I'm only going to shift my focus to the world, from the world to the self. You can't do it. It has to be done slowly. Because you have vasanas. You're battling with your vasanas. When one becomes free from worldly thoughts and desires, one is said to be established in yoga. Any questions? Verse 5. Udaredat manat manam nat manam avasadayet atmevayat manobandur Atmeva ripurat manaha udare dat manat manam nat manam avasadaye atmeva yat mano bandur atmeva ripurat manaha let man lift himself by himself let him not lower himself his self alone is his friend. His self alone is his enemy. A bit cryptic, this verse, isn't it? Let man or woman, by the way, lift themselves up by themselves. Let them not lower themselves. Their self alone is their friend. The self alone is their enemy. I have to change the uh, pronoun, you see. <laughs> Gita was written in a different time. Now the times are different. <laughs> Let man lift himself by himself. Ravi, paragraph one, please. In this popular verse, often quoted, Krishna emphasizes the need for self-effort in spiritual practice. If you wish to evolve spiritually, you must work for it on your own. Books, teachers, and gurus can give you helpful material and guidance, but they cannot replace your personal efforts necessarily for the process of evolution. If you help yourself to evolve spiritually, you will reach the supreme state of self-realization. If you do not, you will remain attached to the world 
and suffer the sorrows thereof. Therefore, you yourself played the role of friend or enemy to yourself. Thank you. You yourself plays the role of a friend or an enemy to yourself. We're not talking about the big self here, Atman. We're talking about you as a personality, as an individual. See, it's in the in the translation, it's got a little s meanings, your material layers, not the big s, which means the self within. Slight distinction. His self alone is his friend, his self alone is his enemy. So no gods can help us. No gurus can help us. We have to do it ourselves. They can guide us. But we have to put the effort in. So imagine the scenario. Arjuna has surrendered to his friend Krishna. And Krishna is Lord Krishna. It represents God. Even though Arjuna doesn't know it. Correct? Yeah. Arjuna doesn't know Krishna is a self-realized soul. I surrender to you, my friend Krishna. You are so wise. Please help me. What shall I do? He doesn't say, I surrender to you, Lord. He just says, I surrender to you, my friend Krishna. You are so wise. Please help me. What shall I do? This is the situation, isn't it? Isn't that the situation? And what does Krishna say? Arjuna, you have to lift yourself up by yourself. Isn't it? See, 18 chapters, 700 verses, Lord Krishna advises Arjuna. Yeah. And then in the end, he says, I've given you my wisdom. I've told you what to do. I've given you my wisdom. I've guided you. Now you go and do whatever you want to do. You go and do whatever you want. So what this verse says is that a teacher, a guru can give you directions, can guide you, can explain to you. Swamiji has written this uh, commentary in a way that we can understand it. We can digest it. You open other Gitas, um, you may not be able to understand what they're explaining in there. Because it's not as clear, especially, um, you know, brought up in this country, brought up in over there, um, Western education. It's more difficult for us to understand. So Swamiji has written in a way we can all understand it, digest it. So that's all they can do. That's all the gurus can do. Explain the knowledge in a way we understand it. But doesn't matter how many classes you come to, how many times you read the Gita, you can't develop until you put your own effort in. No one else can do it for you. See, even Lord Krishna can't help Arjuna can only advise him and guide him, and then do what you want. No one can do it for you. Any questions?
Anyone disagree? You have to wake up in the morning and study. You need to be aware of your desires. You need to be aware of your mind and intellect. No one can else do it for you. To lift yourself up indicates you have fallen. What is fallen? Anyone? Where have you fallen? You have to lift yourself up. Why lift yourself up? Because you've fallen. What have you fallen to? Any idea? Ruins. Sorry? Ruins. Ruins. You've fallen to ruins. <laughs> what is that ruin? You're absolutely right, Shashi, yeah? 100%. But what is that? You've fallen far away from your true self. Absolutely right. You have the God principle within you. You are a spiritual being. And you bring yourself down to this level. This is what he's saying. Suffering, sorrow, misery. The self doesn't have any of these. It doesn't have any of these qualities. But you have all these qualities because... You don't know who you are. That's what he's saying. You fall into this depth and suffering. I don't know what to do. Shall I fight them or not fight them? Your mind and intellect has fallen. And because you identify with that, you've fallen. Atman cannot fall. You have fallen. We have fallen. So we have to lift our mind and intellect to the higher values of life. What is my goal? And this classes that we're coming to a Sunday morning is what we're learning, the higher values of life. So you can lift yourself up. Does anyone disagree that you haven't fallen? It's okay to disagree. If you think, no, I haven't fallen, I'm fine. Deepavan, how badly have you fallen? <laughs> this is what it's saying. So it's in your hands to lift yourself up. All of us are in the same position, in the same boat. We don't understand who we really, really are. And we bring ourselves down to this level. It's deplorable, Lord is saying. It's deplorable. What's that term? Maha. What is it? Maha Mura. Is it Mura? No. 
I forget the term. Is it Mur Mahamurak? Is it not just the fool, but big fool? It's saying colossal fool. It's saying it's in the it's in a Gita, not just a fool, but a colossal fool. It says this is who we all are. Anyway, let's move on. Ravi, next. Krishna emphasizes that your evolution or devolution does not depend on external forces and environmental conditions. It depends on your personal concerted effort. As with scholastic education or physical exercise, you cannot delegate spiritual evolution to others. You will have to do it yourself. You can use your body, mind and intellect either to serve as a friend and help you reach supreme perfection, or to destroy your life like an enemy. It all depends on how you make use of them. A knife can be used for beneficial or destructive purposes. So can electricity or wealth. You can use these either friend or foe. The same applies to your material equipment. Krishna advises humanity to use them for spiritual evolution. So we need to put self-effort to grow on the spiritual path, just like exercise, to become fit, or education, to learn. This task cannot be delegated. You can't get someone else to jog for you, and you become fit. It cannot work. You go to school, teacher teaches you. You have to do your homework. You have to study. Only you can do the exam. Nobody can do the exam for you. So you have to put in the right effort, it's saying. No one can put that effort in for you. Your growth, your spiritual growth, or any growth for that matter, is dependent on the level of effort you put in. And we all know that. There's nothing new. It's only philosophy to understand that. So he's saying we can use our body, mind, and intellect to evolve spiritually or devolve. So you can use your body, mind, intellect to be your friend and reach the self, spiritual development, or you can use the body, mind, intellect to destroy your life. It's up to you. It acts as a friend or a foe. How can you use the body, mind, intellect to destroy your life? Anyone? How can you use it to destroy your life? Any examples? We're already all doing it anyway. <laughs> From a spiritual sense. So the mind can ask for anything, and you're fulfilling it. There's no limit. Knife can be used to stab someone, or a doctor can use a knife to save someone's life. The knife being the same. They're saying your body, mind, intellect 
can be used for good or bad, can destroy you. I don't know if I've given this example before, but if everyone puts up their hand, right hand up, body, mind, intellect. That's what these three fingers represent. Body, mind, intellect. This is the self. The thumb is the self. Anyone know what this finger represents? Any guess? Ego. ego. This is your ego. Body, mind, intellect, your ego, the self. Your ego right now is saying, you know who I am? I am Mr. Universe. You know who I am? You know how rich I am? You know how much money I've got in my bank? I'm a college professor. You don't know how powerful I am. I'm Putin. Do you know how much power I have? That's what your ego is saying right now. I am Miss World. Do you know that? You can indulge in the sun subjects in the world. Yeah, that's what we're doing at the moment. When we do this, what happens? The surrendering your ego to the self. This is what it represents. You are no longer ego in the world, body, mind, intellect, you know who I am. You're now saying I am the self. You have surrendered your ego to the self. And that's why you see this sometimes in spiritual scriptures and so on. This example, you're now surrendered to the self. And as you become, as you develop on a spiritual path, this is what you're doing. You've developed your, you've surrendered to the self. This is my goal in life now. Right now, we're all like this. Some of us might be closer to the thumb than the others. You completely surrender. This is, this is who you are. Does that make sense? Any questions on that example? Does everyone understand that example? You can indulge in the sense objects in the world or the ego can surrender to the self. Then we are using the body, mind, intellect to reach the self. The self, Atman, enlivens us all. Without the self, we cannot function. If we use the self to indulge in the world, then it becomes our enemy because it can destroy us. There's no stopping us. We can do anything. We can kill someone, spend the rest of our time in our life, in the, in the prison, destroyed. If we use the self, Atman, for spiritual development, it is our friend. Self in a terrorist is an enemy. Self in a saint is a friend. They're both the self acting in two different people.
saying wealth can be of great use or it can destroy you. Electricity is useful to power all your gadgets. It's your friend. Electricity used wrongly can burn your house down. How do you use it? So you're in control. You have to put in the right effort. You have to decide what kind of emotions am I entertaining? What are we studying? What knowledge are we taking in? You yourself have to perform karma, bhakti, jnana, yoga. No one can do it for you. But you read the last one. Yeah. Any questions? It makes you, this knowledge, you know, when you come to this class, it just makes you think. It makes you think out of the box because we're so used to thinking focused in one direction. This sort of gives you a nudge. <laughs> what am I doing? What should I be doing? This looks interesting. It makes some sense to me. That's what it's supposed to do. Give you a bolt, a jolt. Any questions? We'll stop there because um, verse six, uh, it's won't have time to do the verse six today. You've had enough knowledge, Sashi. Um, just going back to what we were talking about about the hand and the yeah. mind, body, spirit, ego, the self. Yeah. So recently, um, I was told that when you do mara, not to use this finger. The index finger to move the beads obviously as children we were always taught to do it like that is that mm -hmm. anything to do with the ego or is it some other reason do you know of anything i haven't got a clue i'm honest with you because okay. <laughs> i only know that the mara is a tool to be used in meditation so that you can focus your mind on that one thought. Hmm. I don't know if anyone else might know, but it's it's yeah. like recently come to my attention that when you do mara, don't don't use this finger. But obviously, that's what we're used to. So, does you kind of go like that, or I don't know, and it don't, don't, don't work anybody, as well. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has an answer to that. But um, see, I suppose it depends what you're doing the mara for. You know, that's probably has something to do with it. Why are you doing it? Settled in? No, she doesn't know either. I don't know. Um, you should ask why not use that finger. Whoever says that you have to, you cannot, you should ask them because they may have a different reasoning for it. But um, I mean, I, I don't do mana myself, so I don't know. Um, for, for in the um, Gita, it's a tool to gain self-realization is something you do at the end to focus. So I haven't got a clue, I'm afraid. No worries. <laughs> Any other clarifications? Chandra, you well? You good?
So um, what we've learned today is to think, is to have a little think, what am I doing in my life? Where is my, what are my goals? What is my focus? And where can I develop myself? So I'm thinking more of the self. I'm doing more karma yoga. I'm not indulging in the world. My mind isn't set only on that. I need to allow my mind and intellect to, to focus on this as well a little bit. Half an hour a day, doesn't matter. Let me think of the self. Let me put some effort in to discover what this verse is talking about. Let me pluck my mind out of the world and focus on the self or spiritual development for at least 30 minutes a day. I owe it to myself. Krishna is, Lord Krishna is saying, I have fallen. I need to rise up. How do I rise up? Let me spend 30 minutes a day on rise, trying to rise up. Not a lot, just 30 minutes. Let me try that. You owe it to yourself. And only you can put that effort in. This is what we've learned today. Just take those two things away. And that's all you need to do. It doesn't matter if we don't get any of the other, whatever else has been said today. I have fallen. I'm to lift myself up. Only I can lift myself up. Let me put some effort on how to do that. That's all you need to take away from today's class. <laughs> yeah? Let's see, I've simplified it so easy, so well for you at the end. Okay, great. We'll see you next week.